Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're focused on Tucson Electric Power, its plans for renewable energy, new rates it wants to charge customers, and a controversial Midtown transmission line. Earlier this year, Tucson Electric Power announced it would dramatically increase its renewable energy generation with plans to get 70% of its power from renewables by 2035. That's a big change from its previous plan to get 30% by 2030. Jeff Yaki is TEP's Director of Resource Planning. We asked him what caused the utility to make such a big shift. He says much of it is due to the changing price of renewables. Um, renewables have really become some of the lowest cost resources of energy, um, you know, both solar and and um, wind, and um, and so that you know when that that is beginning beginning to replace the the energy that we're producing through through coal, and then ga- gas is also um, you know a, a significant piece of the puzzle as well. And so is that where all the new power will come from, uh, wind and solar, or are there other uh, fuels that you all will be using? No, um, for this integrated resource plan, for our 2020 integrated resource plan, all of the new resources will be solar and wind. So that will be supplemented by um, battery storage um, or other forms of, of storage um, through, through the, our forecast period. And but we're going to need both um, re, um, solar and wind in order to make that happen. And you know, they solar and, and wind provide um, energy at different times. So we need sort of both of those to sort of balance the um, the, the real time energy that the that the, the grid needs. You mentioned natural gas. You called it a bridge fuel. Is that a temporary thing until you can get to all renewables, or will natural gas always be part of the equation? or at least into the foreseeable future, maybe not always? Well, well we, we do our planning on a 15-year cycle. So we're really um, focusing on these 15 years. And, and the, the focus for this first um, integrated resource plan really is getting out of coal. Um, in order to, to get out of coal and um, retire all our, our existing coal assets, you know, we need to have natural gas in order to, um, to, to provide the capacity and the reliability of the system. Now, over time, that that's certainly going to we're going to continue to um, you know develop more and more renewables. We're not going to be stopping at at 2035. We're going to do another integrated resource plan in just three years, and and I expect that you know that that the the renewables and um, especially the storage development because that's really what's what's key. And um, there's there's a lot of innovation that, that's coming on in that area. It's going to accelerate. There was some controversy earlier this year regarding the closure of the Navajo Generating Station, which was largely coal-powered. As TEP moves away from coal and towards more clean energy, how do you all balance community impact, for example, of closing someplace like a Navajo Generating Station versus environmental impact? Yeah, I I think that that is really key, is um, getting the timing of that right. now we were relatively minor um, participants in the um, the Navajo Generating Station. Um, we were about a seven and a half percent share of that of that plant. But as we move towards Springerville, that's we own all of um, Springerville units um, one and two. So um, we really think that the key to sort of making that that transition is is allowing time for that to happen, and that's why we've sort of um, set set forth in our, our plan, sort of a, a 
12-year um, period of, of, of transition for that. And it's not going to happen all at once. And we're also going to be um, making um, seasonal operations, you know, even as early as within three years. So it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to take some time, but then we're, we're going to take steps in phases so that we can reduce the emissions over time, eventually um, retire um, one of the Springable units in 2027, and then eventually retire all of our coal by 2032. That was Jeff Yockey, TEP's Director of Resource Planning. The utility is also asking to raise rates for customers, partly to pay for the transition to more renewable energy. TEP's last rate increase took effect in February 2017 and raised the average customer's bill by about $8.50 a month. TEP filed its latest rate case with the Arizona Corporation Commission last year. If approved, the current proposal will increase an average residential customer's bill by about $6.80 a month. We asked TEP spokesman Joseph Barriosa about the financial impact of that on customers during this time of economic uncertainty, and while TEP's parent company Fortis is reporting big revenues. The, the first thing is we we understand, and and you know we hear from customers on a on a regular basis about the challenges they're facing. I mean, cer- certainly the economy is not where it was at when we first filed this case, which again, that was that was more than, than a year ago. Any change in rates can have a significant impact on, on some of our customers. Um, so when we file a proposal for new rates, we don't do so lightly. Uh, you know, we, we really carefully consider what we're asking uh, recovery for, and we feel very strongly that the application that we filed, um, again, before uh, you know, we, we were all affected by the pandemic, does a good job of capturing some of the, you know, some of the improvements that we've, we've made in this, uh, to, to our energy grid. Uh, it, it documents improvements that we've made in the service that we provide to customers. You know, we've made uh, donations to um, uh, nonprofit organizations that that provide bill payment assistance, and you know we've we've tried to simply provide the very best service that we that we can. I mean, over the summer, while we were all adjusting to being at home or working from home, or or perhaps where you know our families were affected by a, a, a loss of work, you know it was also very very hot. And you know very simply, we know that. Uh, customers were counting on us to provide the best service possible. In this ongoing case before the Corporation Commission, one of the reasons uh, for TEP's desire to increase rates is to fund some renewable expansion and recoup the cost of some natural gas projects. Environmental groups have criticized that, saying you guys can do all that without raising rates. How do you answer that? You know, we're very careful about what we ask recovery for. We don't get to set our own rates. We have to make uh, prudent investments. And then in a proceeding like this one, we have to uh, approach the commission, provide evidence for why we think a change in rates is justified, and, and address that in, in, a, in a public process. So, you know, some of the evidence that we've provided to the commission deals with some of the investments that we've made in these natural gas resources. Um, these resources, 
these generating resources are going to help us to transition to uh, a cleaner energy portfolio. In reading about the rate increase, one of the things we saw was one of the reasons behind it is an increase in peak demand, uh, partially due to longer, warmer summers. Uh, that's probably a problem that's not going away. So how does climate affect future operations and rates? All of our rates are based on costs that we've already incurred. And so, uh, for, for example, the, the generating resources that we were just talking about um, that are being discussed in this rate case, um, they're already online and they're already producing power and providing service to our customers. The outlook that we take is always long-term, um, you know, uh, long before summer arrives. We take a look at our own resources. We take a look at uh, historic weather patterns, uh, customer usage, and we try to determine how much of a challenge is this summer going to be? How, how much power are we going to need to provide to customers? And then we make arrangements so that we can provide even more than that if necessary. That was TEP spokesman Joseph Barrios. We'll hear more from him later in the show. The Arizona Corporation Commission will likely review TEP's rate case in the coming months and decide whether to approve the new rates and when they would take effect. The Sierra Club has been one of TEP's biggest critics in recent years, particularly around the ongoing rate case and TEP's continued reliance on natural gas. Catalina Ross is the Southern Arizona Energy Program Coordinator with the group's local chapter. We asked her to sum up their critique of TEP's rate case. Sierra Club is looking at the rate case um, in terms of what it's asking for and who it's asking from. We have residential customers being asked to foot the bill for fracked gas infrastructure that TEP has already invested in, um, knowing that it was uneconomical. Um, we feel that rate payers should not have to pay for um, fossil fuel infrastructure that we know is going to become um, even more uneconomical. Um, and as we begin to move more toward renewables, we're phasing out um, these investments and we shouldn't be building more of them. We also feel that uh, the, that any rate increases or um, otherwise should be going to renewables cited in um, coal-impacted communities. There have been supports uh, requested from the Diné and Hopi nations, and we believe that those should be honored as well. You mentioned natural gas and the Sierra Club has been critical in the past of TEP's reliance on natural gas as a, as a major fuel source. Is the problem the cost or is the problem environmental or is it both? Um, well, it's both. And I'll also say it's, it's public health related because fracked gas continues to burn methane, which is um, even worse, uh, arguably, for our health than carbon dioxide. So it's not a fuel that we want to be relying upon. We want to go straight to renewables, solar plus storage, wind plus storage. Um, and environmentally, of course, it still contributes to, um, you know, it still puts out fossil fuel emissions and contributes to climate change 
when it comes to TEP's new plan to end the use of coal and to get 70% of its energy from renewables by 2035, is that enough? And is that timeline ambitious enough? We feel that TEP, through its integrated resource plan, has taken a lot of good steps forward here in making that big step. We also applaud their process during this resource plan. Um, Their advisory council was more inclusive and transparent um, and integrated uh, our input. But we do feel that um, it has some um, things that could be improved. One is faster coal plant retirements, such as that of the Four Corners um, coal generating station, which is right now set to, uh, they're set to leave in 2031. But the majority owner is Phoenix Utility APS, which um, they are following the lead of. And we feel that they need to take more prerogative here and leave it sooner, as well as uh, make better just and equitable transition plans in that IRP for Navajo Generating Station and Four Corners. We feel that earlier retirement of coal plants helps ratepayers and reduces carbon emissions sooner. That was Catalina Ross with the Sierra Club. This week, we're focused on Tucson Electric Power, our local electric utility. TEP is planning to build a transmission line that will connect substations at Keno and 36th and Grant and I-10. The route for that transmission line, which is still being decided, will run through central Tucson. The large steel poles will be between 75 and 110 feet tall, possibly taller at major roads. TEP says the line is necessary to improve reliability, add capacity for increased demand, and support the needs of the University and Banner UMC. TEP has been gathering customer input on the project for months. Many area residents object to aspects of the plan, including the appearance, but especially the route, which could be through or near many historic neighborhoods. John Swartz is a longtime Tucsonan, retired professor, and previously served on the city's Citizen Advisory Planning Committee when the Kino Parkway was being designed and built. He says that experience influenced his view of the transmission line project. These transmission lines are going to change the entire character of the entryway into the city and the area around the university and all the way north. Um, so as, as a citizen of Tucson, I'm, I'm really appalled at what they're planning to do here and the kind of impact it's going to have both um, on the entryway in Campbell Avenue, uh, if that's the route chosen, it looks like it's going to be, as well as um, my feeling for the, pro- the property, uh, the people who own property nearby who are going to suffer uh, quite substantial losses the entire character of some neighborhoods are going to be changed by this when it could so easily be done differently. Dan Dempsey lives in the Iron Horse neighborhood near Euclid and Broadway. Euclid was one of the earlier routes. Swartz and Dempsey wrote a paper detailing their objections to TEP's plans and a recommendation for putting part of the transmission line underground. I have a background in analyzing energy companies, publicly traded energy companies for Citigroup's investment bank. So uh, when this came across 
our neighborhood, I guess, listserv, I started digging into some of these arguments the TP was making because they have public filings as a public utility. And a lot of the things weren't adding up. And in my kind of innate curiosity, I just kept digging and digging and digging and more and more stuff wasn't adding up. And so I just got kind of sucked into it. When you say things weren't adding up, uh, Dan, what, what do you mean by that? The first one was TEP was saying that it could not afford to go underground because it would have to increase its uh, rates to ratepayers. So, because their estimate was that it would cost them essentially, I think it was $16 million to go from Broadway to UMC, which is about a mile and a half. So my question that pops into my head is, well, what is that relative to their revenue? So how much money are they making off of the community versus how much does it actually cost them? And it turns out that they make about $1.4 billion a year. And the, the most amazing thing to me was TEP does not actually expense its CapEx. Nobody really does. You have to depreciate it over time. And TEP's transmission assets are expensed over 59 years. So to actually expense the cost of going underground is something like $84,000 a year to TEP per mile. And relative to $1.4 billion a year, that's nothing. John, one of the things you mentioned, you two wrote a paper challenging these plans, and you touched on it a little bit in the beginning of our conversation, uh, just about the look, um, the visual character, as you called it, of the city would be would be radically changed by this. Um, is that the only concern that you have? No, there's that is a very big concern, by the way. The city has spent tens of millions of dollars on this route uh, over the years, and it's going to become significantly devalued by these huge towers, uh, towers that are 100 feet high, strung along the route all the way uh, north of the university to north of the university from 36th Street. But in addition to that, we calculate based on um, TEP's own studies that they studies that they cite we calculate that uh, the amount of damage to uh, property values will be twice the cost of putting it underground that that's just unfair to do to to tens of thousands of property owners along these routes um, for them to bear the entire cost of, a cost of this that's actually a greater cost than it would cost to underground it I, I also found out, that uh, as Dan points out, this is a very small cost to TEP to underground um, relative to its revenues. Uh, but there's another kind of comparison you can make. What other sorts of community programs do T does TEP have? And they pride themselves on having community programs that they say uh, are entirely separate they, uh, from their rates. They bear the costs themselves in a community spirit. The cost of undergrounding would be just the same as the cost of many of these other programs that they already say they easily are able to absorb themselves. There are going to be some in the city and in the area that are going to support this new line. They're going to say, oh, it's going to bring us better electrical service. How do you two respond to them? We're not against the transmission line. We just wanted to go underground. And one of the interesting things is if you if you start to look at what TEP's done to date. Um, they just recently finished this Irvington to Kino transmission line. And this, this new 138 kilovolt substation 
is going to solve a lot of these brownout issues that uh, people are complaining about. The keynote to Damas Petrie line, which is what they're proposing going down Campbell to, you know, in front of the university and, and through these historic neighborhoods is a redundant transmission line. And a lot of the problems that people have are not because of transmission lines going down, they're because of distribution lines going down. And TEP's, TEP doesn't have any distribution upgrades in this project, but in the IRV Kino project, they talk about upgrading distribution lines over the next three to 10 years. So um, it's gonna take time. And, and I guess where I was going with that was, there's no reason to rush, there's no reason to hurry. We can explore undergrounding, we can talk to the city, the state, the feds, we can see what happens with, if there's a big infrastructure plan, you know, we there's there's time to wait. Uh, this isn't going to solve some urgent need that has to happen tomorrow. Have you heard from TEP uh, regarding any of your concerns? I haven't. Not really. So most of the time when you submit a comment or something to TEP, you get, it takes them a while to respond and you usually get kind of a canned PR response. You don't really get a deep, thoughtful uh, response. So, I, I mean... I've gotten responses from TEP on other aspects of, you know, other things I've criticized them for in their analyses that they've actually, in some cases, have fixed. But I have not gotten any real thorough explanation on why they're not taking undergrounding seriously. That was John Swartz and Dan Dempsey, Tucson residents who are encouraging TEP to consider placing their planned transmission line through central Tucson underground. You can find their paper on our website. We asked TEP's Joseph Barrios to respond to their concerns, starting with considering the option of putting the line underground. Well, it, you know, it's, it's certainly something that we're, um, you know, we're happy to, to, to look at with, uh, you know, with, with the, the community. I, I think it's important to, to remember that, you know, the, the project is really designed to serve uh, customers within that, that large study area. Uh, you know, we we try to share information with our customers and with the public, um, and you know, the, the the line itself is designed to improve service and help provide for future uh, future energy needs. Uh, so, you know, is undergrounding the line a possibility? Well, I mean, we're we're certainly happy to consider um, uh, uh, options that are available to us. But it's also important to remember that uh, undergrounding is is more expensive, and you know I'm, I'm sure that's that's uh, something that maybe um, folks have have questioned. Uh, we hired a, uh, a third party to conduct a study that's specific to this project and some of the engineering requirements uh, for this project uh, to to assess how much more expensive would it be. The conclusion was that uh, an underground line would cost uh, about uh, 11 times more than it would for an overhead line. Our uh, uh, system, uh, you know, is, uh, while it's designed to uh, serve customers, uh, you know, customers also also pay for uh, through their rates the improvements that we make to our infrastructure. So before we pass along a cost like that. You know, it's something we have to look at very closely. Those same critics said that the the cost estimate you all put out is much higher than similar projects that were carried out, for example, in Phoenix. And TEP has 
the ability to spread that cost out over a number of decades. What's your response to that criticism? Well, again, I mean, I, I know, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to consider uh, and, and to take a close look at anything um, that either members of the community working group or uh, neighbors within the affected area have, have to say about, about the project. And uh, we, we have seen some um, uh, uh, proposals that uh, look at some of those, some of those options. Um, but again, I mean, we, we hired a, uh, uh, an independent third-party consultant to look at our project here in Tucson and to assess what would the costs actually be here. Um, so, uh, you know, while we're, we're open to solutions, I mean, we're open to looking at other options, but um, only if funding can be, can be secured. You've had a couple of public meetings about this project, and you've had to move some of them online due to the pandemic. Has there been enough opportunity for the community to put input into this project? Yes, definitely. Um, it, it certainly has been a challenge, and, and we understand that uh, you know we uh, can't uh, have uh, face-to-face public meetings, uh, uh, you know, open meetings the way we have for some of our other projects over the last few years. Um, but we did have, you know, we have had some, so we, you know, did have opportunities to meet face-to-face with neighbors, uh, with members of our community working group uh, before the, you know, uh, effects of the pandemic really hit home. And even at the beginning of this project, uh, which we kicked off last year, uh, you know, we tried to advertise all of the different ways that, um, residents and neighbors and community working group members could comment. So they can pick up the phone and call us at any time. They can send emails. Um, If they have data or research they want to submit, they're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, We have a ton of information about the project on our website and an online comment form. What has the majority of the public said about this? You know, (laughs) You know, we've we've received hundreds and hundreds of of comments uh, and questions from members of the public, um, and you know they they ask about all, all sorts of things. Uh, certainly, though, the the location where is the line going to be located is uh, is is a big one, uh, which of course is what we're what we're trying to to find out. That was TEP spokesperson Joseph Barrios. You can find links to more information about the Transmission Line project and where to submit public comment on our website. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.